Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Tuesday, January 23rd. Good morning, everyone. On the day of the New Hampshire primary, they have that ceremonial first vote just after midnight in the tiny town of Dixville Notch. You know about that? Those votes have been counted. It was Nikki Haley, six. Donald Trump, nothing. Kind of a small sample size, right? Six votes, but so far it's a shutout. This January 23rd is also a day when bipartisan Senate negotiators might finalize a deal on border security in exchange for aid to Ukraine. It's a day when the U.S. bombed eight more Houthi targets in the Middle East. And it's a day when a U.S. appeals court might rule on whether Donald Trump and any president has total immunity from prosecution, even if he orders the U.S. military to assassinate a political rival. What? Yes, if you haven't heard this yet, here was the moment in the U.S. Court of Appeals hearing when a Trump attorney argued that the president could order SEAL Team 6 of the United States Navy to assassinate a political rival and he could be immune from prosecution for it. This begins with a question to the Trump attorney by appeals court judge Florence Pan. I asked you a yes or no, yes or no question. Could a president who ordered SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival who was not impeached, would he be subject to criminal prosecution? If he were impeached and convicted first. And so, so your answer is, is no. Is, Judge Florence Mann and Trump attorney D. John Sauer. With me now is a veteran of the U.S. Navy, now a Democratic member of Congress from New Jersey, Congressmember Mikey Sherrill, who represents New Jersey's 11th Congressional District, which includes parts of Morris, Essex, and Passaic counties, including the North Jersey areas of Maplewood, Montclair, Morristown, Madison, and some places that don't begin with them. Congresswoman Sherrill spent nearly 10 years on active duty in the Navy, flying missions throughout Europe and the Middle East. She also attended Georgetown Law School, served as a Russia policy officer, and in the U.S. Attorney's Office in New Jersey. In Congress, she's on the House Armed Services Committee and the Select Committee on Strategic Competition with the Chinese Communist Party, as that committee is called, and she's considered a possible contender for governor when Governor Murphy is term-limited after next year. The Congresswoman has recently been speaking against House Republicans' latest effort to restrict abortion at the federal level certainly about the border in the Middle East and Ukraine, and also about the child tax credit and salt tax deduction issue. And she introduced a bill to protect students from deep fake videos. After Westfield High School in New Jersey, did you hear about this, reported cases of fake porn videos generated by AI made to look like actual girls who attend the school. So we have plenty to talk about. Congresswoman Cheryl, always good of you to come on the show and answer questions for me and constituents and other callers. Welcome back to WNYC. Well, thanks so much for having me back. I really appreciate it. Can we start with the deep fake videos? What happened there at Westfield High School and what role do you see in Congress for a response? Yeah, Brian. So as you know, I'm a mom of four school age kids, and this one is really heartbreaking. Um, so images of young girls uh, using AI were made to uh, look as if they were naked pictures of these uh, these girls, 14-year-old girls. 
And as their parents went to address this, there was really nothing, no regulations on the books to address this AI generated image, which uh, you may have heard called deep fakes. Um, and so the parents, you know, came to me to discuss what might be done. I worked with uh, Joe Morelli in the House, a member from New York who was working on this issue, and we put forward a piece of legislation that would have penalties for this type of action. But I really deeply believe, um, as I've dealt with social media and my school-age kids and have heard stories from other people, that while a lot of the new technologies we're moving into with AI and in the future quantum and, and um, other ways that are going to change many people's lives and often for the better. I mean, there, there are some really exciting stuff out there that is going to make a huge impact on people, but we've got to address the downside risks to our children. And I think we are seeing them rapidly accumulate into how so many of our kids are just not um, being protected in the way that that we really need to do. So, so I think this is just kind of the tip of the spear as to how we need to address some of what's going on online, as most especially with respect to our children. So as creepy and sexist and predatory as those videos sound, would high school students sharing AI-generated uh, porn videos get arrested and criminally charged? So there are some criminal penalties, but the majority of them would be civil penalties. Um, and uh, and I, I think, too, a lot of this, we have to take into account, you know, how to how you're going to address this, what the fault is of the parents. But again, we have to give the parents more tools. I, I have to tell you, as a as a mom, we I, I never felt like I was completely in control of what was going on on social media with my children. We worked hard, but you always have this suspicion that your kids are smarter than you with social media um, and can get around a lot of the protections you attempt to put in place. Um, but I'll tell you, for, for so many of us, COVID really just let the horse out of the barn on all this. I mean, mm. you have a child whose life is online at this point. Um, many, For many of us, their school day was online. Um, they had to turn in homework online. Their social life was online as they were quarantining and couldn't be in person. And suddenly, you just had this exponential increase in your children's presence and, and, um, and engagement online. And we, we didn't have an exponential increase in all the tools parents could have to protect those kids. And we're looking at a lot of those now, um, in, even in the, uh, the Committee for the Strategic Competition with China vis-a-vis -vis TikTok and what's going on there. But there are, we, we could certainly do a lot better. And, you know, I'm sympathetic to many of the groups that say, well, um, you know, we're concerned about this because say, for example, you have an LGBTQ child whose parents um, do not accept them. And the only kind of um, support network they have is online. I think we need to, to work to ensure people have that access. But I think what's far more likely to occur in these instances is a child who's slightly different from his or her peers is going to face a lot of bullying online mm -hmm. um, and a lot of things that go on that, that we're not protecting them from up to and including, as we've heard testimony on in the Senate, um, 
training and teaching them how to die by suicide and how to purchase all the accoutrements to do that. So that's horrific to me um, that, that a child could be seeing all this online and the stories of what some of the children who've died by suicide were viewing online right before they died are heartbreaking and horrific. Um, so we have got to do better by our kids. Um, meanwhile, here's another AI fake issue in the news right now. Maybe you know about it. Very different from a high school issue. Someone made an AI-generated fake of Joe Biden's voice that they sent to people's phones in New Hampshire as a robocall. Here's a little piece of it. The fake Joe Biden, as you'll hear, urges the recipient not to vote in today's New Hampshire primary. What a bunch of malarkey. We know the value of voting Democratic when our votes count. It's important that you save your vote for the November election. We'll need your help in electing Democrats up and down the ticket. Voting this Tuesday only enables the Republicans in their quest to elect Donald Trump again. Your vote makes a difference in November, not this Tuesday. If you would like to be removed from future calls, please press 2 now. So again, just to be clear, that was not the real Joe Biden. AI can do his voice better than anyone on Saturday Night Live. That was a facsimile of his voice generated by artificial intelligence that someone was using, I guess, as a voter suppression dirty trick is the right label for it. Uh, Congresswoman, is that against federal law in any way already, as far as you know? So... You know, Brian, I'd seen some reporting on this. I'd have to look at the details of it um, as far as what they said that um, and whether or not it would be construed as illegal. Um, but I think these kind of dirty tricks, as you're saying, uh, have been going on as long as we've had elections. I remember when I was a lawyer um, in New York City and I was working with the protect the election and we had calls coming in then that um certain mail was going out to communities i believe in the bronx with the wrong election date and these mailers were all in spanish so the english mail and language mailers had the correct election date and the spanish language mailers had the incorrect election uh -huh. date um so people have been attempting for like i said probably as long as we've had elections to misdirect um, voters that they don't, they want to keep away from from voting that they think aren't going to vote for their candidate. And again, this is a a new type of technology that we have got to learn um, to deal with. And and it's tough. I mean, there aren't laws on the books to say, you know, if this voice sounds too much like the voice of the president, if it's generated to do just that from AI, you can't do it this way, right? That, that's just a new technology that the law has not really responded to yet. But I think we do very much have to um, begin to address all these things. It's difficult. Um, I know that there are, every time you look into some of these issues, you're always worried about unintended consequences. So as I was sort of laying out why I think it's important that we address our children on social media, the unintended consequence might be that um, LGBTQ children don't have a community that they need for moral support and mental health help. So how do we address that? So you have to, you know, it, it is very difficult, but we've, we can't just say it's too hard so we can't do it. That, that's not who we are as a people. It's not how our government is meant to function. And so something like this, I think, just points again to 
the new types of challenges we have, and especially in a world where too many people, I think, have been misled by false information and lies, as we saw in some of the January 6 hearings that, um, for example, the former President Trump was putting out despite many people in his administration telling him that was not true. Um, so we've really got to address all the ways in which we can make sure people know that their vote counts, that the election is fair, and um, that our democracy is strong and resilient. Um, we have a couple of listener reactions to the Westfield High School deepfake porn video um, story. Um, one comes from a text message from a listener who notes that Westfield is not in your district, but in Congressman Tom Kane Jr.'s district. And the question from the listener is, does he support the controls on AI? Um, yes, he has co-sponsored um, the legislation I just spoke about um, on um, ah. having the penalties for um, this. So you've this got bipartisan buy-in on that. I want to get your reaction to the clip that I played at the beginning of the segment of the appeals court judge getting the Trump attorney to admit that the sweeping immunity Trump is seeking to make most of his criminal charges go away would empower him to order the Navy's SEAL Team 6 to carry out political assassinations while, in, while he's in office, uh, and that impeachment, not criminal law, would be the only way that any president could start to be held accountable. I thought you might have a reaction to that as a Navy veteran. <laughs> Do you? I have a reaction to that as an American citizen, Brian. Um, quite frankly, that to me is a deep misunderstanding of our Constitution and our system of government. I think as, as General Milley, the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said in his retirement, soldiers and sailors don't take an oath to a king or a queen. They take an oath to the Constitution. And every single person, including the president, who also takes an oath to that Constitution, has a responsibility um, and is not above the law. No one in this country is above the law. Nobody is a, a dictator um, that can determine um, who the law applies to. It applies to all of us, including and up to the president of the United States. So I think that represents a deep disrespect for our government and for um, the government we've all chosen to live under in our democracy. I also think it is a delay tactic, as I, I think that was a three-judge panel, and so now they're appealing it. I think, again, with his complete disregard for our institutions of government, I think former President Trump is attempting to um, delay until hopefully, I'm sure in his mind, he can become the president and order the investigation stopped from yeah. his Department of Justice. All right, we'll see what the Supreme Court says. The ruling expected any day. And also as a Navy veteran and a member of the Armed Services Committee, I want to get your reaction uh, to something pertinent to the war in the Middle East right now. The headlines this morning include eight more attacks by the U.S. against the Houthis from Yemen. The U.S. is actively at war now in the Middle East. I think it's fair to say not just Israel and its enemies. The Constitution gives authority to declare war to Congress. Is Biden overstepping without coming to you first? So um, the Biden administration is using the 2001 AUMF um, to 
prosecute these uh, attacks against people who are attacking Americans. I think there have so far um, been 83 wounded Americans recently. A contractor was killed. We know they're harassing shipping in the Red Sea, not just of uh, the United States, but of the Canadians, the British, the Israelis. So really um, trying to upend the freedom of navigation in that area and making it dangerous for our shipping. So um, so that's to, think, when you say the 2001, that's the sweeping authorization after 9-11, and that applies right. here, and that's okay with you or not? Which, well, I, you know what? I think we need to update the 2001 AUMF, quite frankly, repeal it and update it. Um, Congress has not done that, and I think that's the problem. I also think it's problematic, and I think the reason we've not done that is um, – you know, right now we're unable to even seem to pass a budget or border security um, to date. And I think it's troubling to try to think of us and how this, the extremist in the GOP would weigh in on passing a new AUMF, although that is exactly what mm. I think we need to do. So if the U.S. continues to participate in this escalation, at what point would you support asserting Congress's other war powers on behalf of the American people rather than let the executive branch make war without a, a formal debate by the people's elected Congress? Quite frankly, I would be willing to do that now. If we could generate the congressional will to repeal the 2001 AUMF and put forward a new AUMF for um, what is going on right now, I think that is the best way forward. Um, I, again, it has been an incredible struggle in this Congress to get some of the basic governing done that we need to get done. Um, I would be very interested in the speaker's understanding of whether or not he can get the votes to do to both repeal the 2001 AUMF um, while at the same time issuing a new AUMF more particularly tailored to what is going on right now. Right. Okay. Um, you wrote a letter to Speaker Johnson on Friday uh, saying, um, um, you know, expressing your dismay that he would refuse to even consider a bipartisan compromise being negotiated in the Senate. But here's the Speaker after meeting at the White House in a bipartisan meeting the other day. Tell me if, if you still think he's saying no to anything. We must insist that the border be the top priority. I, I think we have some consensus around that table. Everyone understands the urgency of that, and we're going to continue to press for it. He's talking about consensus. Do you think Speaker Johnson is standing in the way? You know, I think it will be telling uh, what we do once the Senate passes their bipartisan negotiated border deal. Will he put that on the floor in the House? Um, and can he ensure they have the votes? Votes because certainly Speaker Johnson wants to focus and make the border a high priority because that is what far right members want him to do because it's good for their campaigns, it's good for their partisan politics. But what we really need is a solution, not just focusing yeah. on the problem or admiring the problem. So I'm hoping he puts the Senate, once the Senate bill is passed through the Senate, we can get that on the House and get a vote there. And that will be very telling as to whether he's serious about handling this problem. And last issue in our last minute, abortion. I see you issued a statement on what you see as a House Republican effort to limit abortion rights at the national level. 
What's happening? So, as you know, the Supreme Court said this was a state's rights issue. I disagreed with that. I think it's a woman's rights issue, a reproductive health rights issue. But this, the Republicans in the last election, many of them in um, sort of swing districts like mine, said they weren't going to weigh in because it was a state's rights issue, um, which left millions of women without access to abortion rights and, and reproductive health care. But uh, now, as we anticipated they would, they are trying to pass a nationwide abortion ban um, in many different ways. And the latest was two votes that we took that would move money into what are called pregnancy crisis centers, uh, centers that move, you know, only give women information on, um, on support they can get to carry the baby to term and have the baby, um, try to, to force them to do that. And while I think, um, you know, as somebody who's had two children in law school, I would have loved support for my pregnancy, but we need legitimate healthcare centers. We need women to have access to legitimate healthcare and all of the knowledge that they need to make a good decision um, with their doctors. Strikingly, some of the money for this would have been moved away from TANF funding. So the very funding that if uh, a woman chose to have a baby and she didn't have a lot of resources might use that money to help get food for herself and her child. And, and they're moving that money out of actually supporting women and poor children and into um, these pregnancy crisis centers. It's really strikingly bad policy, I think, for women. And um, just once again, how Republicans are pushing for nationwide um, anti-choice legislation. Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill, Democrat from the 11th District in northern New Jersey. Thanks for coming on today. We always appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. I really appreciate it. Have a good one. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.